Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It was a pay-per-view worth watching. Or was it? We're covering NWO sold out 1997 today with NWO's own Eric Bischoff calling in to answer your questions. You listen to them. Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Yeah, roll that mid-card theme. <laughs> Let's hear it. We love it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to After 83 Weeks. This is the show for all of you 83 Weeks fans out there to hang out after the show. We cover all the revelations. We get your reactions. And, of course, one Eric Bischoff will be calling in a little bit later to answer the questions that you all have posted on the social media. My name is Christy Olson. Let me introduce you to the panel today. I think you get to know these guys pretty well, like uh, the host of SmackDown After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. It is Christy Rosenberg. That's me. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? I am great, because it's dry in here and raining outside. (laughs) (laughs) It's not storming up in here. We have our happy faces on, don't we, George Hermosa? You don't like the rain? I love the rain. Hi, I'm George Hermosa. How are you? You're clearly from Southern California. I was going to say, we're doing a great job of breaking that stereotype that all people in LA talk about when it rains is the rain. (laughs) What do you think about the rain, Steve Kaufman? I don't like it. <laughs> I'm from a place where it did that a lot, and yes. I came here so it wouldn't do that. What about you, Minnesota? Do you like the rain? Well, I want to hear more about Phila Philadelphia, Steve I, Kaufman. It also snows there, and <laughs> I love visiting the snow. I hate living in the snow. As, as someone from Massachusetts, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> I lo- like. I love going. I'm like, oh, it's snowing here. I'm going to leave. And on that note, I think we're going to leave that conversation (laughs) in the dust. Although I'm sure it's one we could chat about with Mr. Bischoff, of course. But that's not what we're here for today, guys. We are here because everybody listened to 83 Weeks this week. Finally, they got to sold out 1997, which, of course, there's a lot to talk about on this show. And you guys have posted your questions using hashtag after 83 weeks or responding to all of us on the social media. Make sure that you also subscribe. We are on Apple podcasts and we love a review a little five star rating you know we would appreciate it but make sure you subscribe to the 83 weeks YouTube channel we are very um, we are very uh, grateful that Conrad and Mr. Eric Bischoff have us on their channel so I think I just talked a lot yeah I say not enough I I say enough so let's jump into (laughs) what Conrad Thompson said is one of the worst pay-per-views in history I feel like they say that about every show they cover Um, but Bischoff explains this was a means to an end the success is still they're they're thriving right now WCW early 1997 and uh, Eric Bischoff gets this genius idea for an NWO pay-per-view and he was not uh, shy about letting us all know that I, I I don't want, I'm, I don't have the the waybos to say this uh, to him, but I just want to say <laughs> that. Speak, I just I just feel like 
they were writing. They they feel like late ninety six. They can do no wrong. They can do nothing. Everything needed to touch the gold. I think they got very cocky in doing this pay per view so soon that this was kind of like a um, down to earth kind of pay per view where it's like you know oh maybe we're not do we're not as as everything we do touch to gold and because I like the concept as 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 a fan I absolutely love the concept of what was happening and I was totally totally bought. Well, I I think it's more so, and they discussed it, I think more so actually towards the end of the podcast than at the beginning, was we did it on a Saturday. Uh We did it the same week as a Clash of the Champions. Um, I think they said it was around the Super Bowl. It was the week before the Royal Rumble. uh, Meaning it would be two weeks before the Super Bowl, if that's still... But more more importantly, Nitro, Clash of Champions, Saturday pay-per-view which is just on it's still on really unheard of really to, mm-hmm. other than NXT takeovers watching wrestling uh, three I mean, nights a week no Crazy. I'm, no I'm talking about pay-per-view well, on a Saturday like it was the first time it's not WWF yeah. used to run on a Saturday right and look how much better their numbers have gotten since they switched to Sunday well I mean they have network pay-per-view well so now, now but, but I mean back Royal then. Rumble ran on Saturdays well, but when you look at the card of this show, there might be some other issues. And one of the things that they brought up really early on in this show was um, Conrad was like, but it's an all-heel card. And isn't that problematic? And Eric Bischoff, of course, pointed out that uh, Ger- uh, Guerrero's on it, Jericho's there, DDP. They were all faces. Were you guys satisfied with that explanation? No, I think he asked the question incorrectly. Because it wasn't oh. about, like, oh, it's an all-heel card. It was... The, just the presentation. It was Bischoff and DiBiase as commentary. It was the the heel referee. I just think he asked it weird because honestly, and and I'll probably want to have a chance to say this because I think it's just question is when I first saw All In, that reminded me of Sold Out. Just the whole presentation of like you know oh. the Bullet Club logo and the lead and whatnot. That reminded me of Sold Out. That was everything that NWO Sold Out should have been. It just that I feel like the reason why it was such a failure was because they kind of treated it as a joke. You know it. I can see the uh, I can see the point of it with a joke, but um, kind of what you're saying, how it wasn't necessarily worded yet, because they had baby faces on the show, mm-hmm. but they did nothing but bury them. Even if they won the match mm. between the commentary, the ring announcing, I um, like the ring announcing. To they, be they, they, they would yeah. like whoever they would just make fun <laughs> of whoever it was that was coming yeah. out. Um, obviously, Nick Patrick refing the entire show as as a heel. Where by the way. Even though he's a heel, kudos to him for refing an entire show. Seriously. That is not easy <laughs> at all, um, and very tiring. And trying to remember everything, mm-hmm. but but it's yeah the whole the whole setup was kind of meant. Yeah, obviously it's to put NWO over as oh we're the su- we're the supreme brand in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. But the key thing is obviously you know you want to build it up to make it seem like. You know, when you're cutting a promo against an opponent, you want to build them up because you want people to buy in. You want, okay, I can't wait to see A versus B because A is saying all these high things about B, but A feels he can take him. In this case, A is just saying B is trash, B is trash, B is trash, B is trash, B is trash. Come watch our match. Well, why am I going to watch that match? And I think Psychology more so, 101, more so about the heel thing, too, is when you first open the show, you know, you see the crowd. A lot of NWO shirts, a lot of NWO signs, NWO for Life signs, NWO shirts. So essentially, like, who are you catering to? Are, are they the heels or are they the baby faces? Are they trying to portray themselves as the baby face in that kind of logic of we're putting on this pay-per-view? Well, and I always thought ninety seven sold out 97 was a good example of how NWO as a brand or as a roster, didn't have the depth they thought it would. Because if you talk about NWO as a concept, you would think by now you would have people who are NWO members who are also just babyfaces. 
for whatever reason. Like not just anti not just anti establishment heels, cool heels, if you will. Like white meat baby faces who happen to be aligned with the NWO. See, I always thought that too because you always hear about NWO was supposed to be Nitro. Yeah. WC was going to get Thunder. So what? It was going to be all NWO members like kind of facing off each other, or they were going to have. But that can work. Like the, the Bullet no, again, Club. I, the I, Bullet I, Club does that exactly. Has done that for it just, 10 years. I, they, they never really established that because it was never like you just said the roster for the NWO wasn't really too big. Mm-hmm. And on and on eighty three weeks this week before they even got into the pay per view and all of that good stuff, we got a lot of really juicy leads up. A lot of info, they really set the tone. And at one point, Conrad and Eric got into it pretty <laughs> pretty tensely early on. Conrad tells Eric that he is just arguing for the sake of arguing, which leads into the conversation about TNT and the Robin Hood movie premiere, which <laughs> featured during its commercials, not that. all the commercials, the end of the Giant and the Hogan match from Nitro. So they get into it over this, and Conrad calls Eric a <laughs> smug asshole. <laughs> I did. Did you guys? Did, did you find this funny? Do you think it's cute when they argue? Were you Were you interested in the Robin Hood thing? Did you think it was that important? Getting all fired up about? I mean, from from a network standpoint, it's genius if you really think yeah. about it to get people to watch your show, which but, Michelle pointed out. But I think I think I actually ended up taping it and just fast forwarding it through Robin Hood. Because I had no interest. Still in counts as a view. Yep. I, well, really, even mm-hmm. after record on my VHS. But well, you, you had the TV going while it was on. That's okay. sorry. That's not how views count, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, <laughs> old school Nielsen ratings. Yeah. Nielsen, put, Nielsen puts boxes in less than ten percent of homes, so each person with a Nielsen box represents close to hundred thousand. My people. numbers always count. I'm sorry. <laughs> speaking as a, he speak, had YouTube back then. I was right? a Nielsen, <laughs> I was a Nielsen home for a long time, and I really? would watch these ratings. Oh, I would right. watch myself like change these ratings. Like I later, like, I feel like this explains so much about you. <laughs> That you were a Nielsen ratings kid. Like, well, I, I wasn't a Nielsen home growing up. I was a Nielsen home in my, like, mid to late 20s. Okay, you are giving more. yourself far too much credit right now. Meaning I would, watch, I would watch Raw go up a full point one because I watched Raw. That's, that's what the Nielsen... It's your fault. It's too much power. <laughs> it's really it's too, too much, much power. power. <laughs> Some weeks I was not watching. Well, I wonder if you guys were watching Mark Marrow when he was around. There was a really um, interesting little tidbit here where Eric Bischoff admitted that when Mark Marrow jumped ship, he was hurt because they were friends. And then Mark Marrow went on and said all that stuff about how he didn't get drug tested. And um, do you think my my num my first thought when this all kind of rolled out was, do you think you'd ever hear Vince McMahon admitting that his feelings had been hurt by talent? We would never hear him admit it, but no. we, we know it's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but, I think the Andre the, the Andre the Giant documentary where he talked about how, and it wasn't even that Andre hurt him so much as, like, he felt hurt for un- losing Andre, and mm-hmm. he mentioned, like, I compartmentalize that. Well, Randy Savage is the best example. Yeah. Of, like, someone who actually hurt Vincent. Yeah, like, that, that, I heard, I heard, never I heard that's up. one of the reasons why, like, he, you never heard it, because, like, it, they were really close, and then right. for him to jump ship just randomly, it's like, hey, that kind of... I mean, obviously, he's never going to admit it because he's Vince McMahon. Plus, he doesn't have a podcast where he can admit that on. Well, that's just it. Maybe when he's done and he takes a step back, do you think? Can you see him becoming someone who's open like that? No, no. Yes, he's going to run the XFL until it's all until it's all over. <laughs> but we kind of see glimpses of that. Like I'm so fascinated by anything we see from Vince McMahon, not Mr. McMahon, but Vince McMahon. But you kind of hear like glimpses of like. Yeah, just like he's a very sensitive guy, apparently. I, I well, the one thing I find interesting with with Mark Marrow yeah. in this is because, you know, he when he went to WWF, he was starting to get a real good push. He had an Intercontinental Title run, uh-huh. then he got hurt, 
Mm. And then all of a sudden he came back as a new gimmick that wasn't like a Johnny B. Bad gimmick. Mm-hmm. But then it got it, it was all about Sable, mm. and he he fell to the wayside. But I find it interesting because like if you if you follow Mark Merrow today, he is one of the top um, like anti bullying uh, yeah. shows around the country and everything. So I'm actually really curious. Um, spoiler: A question I might ask Eric later, Ooh. as far as like if he has any type of relationship with him, Taylor. What he thinks as far as what Merrow's doing right now? Yeah, because it's very different than what was being described <laughs> during the podcast. That's right. Well, let's talk about another guy, Mr. Shawn Michaels. This was this topic was sort of intended to talk about if he was coming to WCW, if Bishop wanted him to, but it really turned into Conrad saying he found this little blurb online that kind of inferred that maybe Bischoff and Shawn Michaels had an issue stemming from their AWA days, which Bischoff said was so ridiculously untrue. Had you guys ever heard of that before? No. Heat no. between Shawn Michaels and Maybe because it wasn't true. Not from a credible source, which I, I know I never in the wrestling world, like, I think he even mentioned this is kind of a message boardy thing to begin with. Right. Or was that something? I think it was yeah, here no, where he, he was like, this is, Meltzer didn't even say this. Yeah, this I've, is just I've, floating. I've never heard of anything like that. It sounds like one of those things that someone would just guess might be true and say, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because mm. I feel like they're probably, like, like Bischoff said, like, what, Bischoff joined AWN at 88 or 89, Rockers kind of came back in, like, around that time. Like, right, I just that feel was like just they were getting ready to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he also did a pretty good job of trying to explain, like, these are the times I was even ever in the same building as them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing. Like, yeah. Okay, well, I am very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> Chris Benoit, Nancy Kayfabe, and the boys, <sighs> and anyone else who was there at the club at 1230 at night. What do you think of this story that they kind of they fabricated this thing I, to trick the other guys into thinking that their angle was true? If, if it if it If it was true, I mean, one thing that I hate, and, I, and I've dealt with it, you know, in, in some independent companies I've worked with over the years, where someone does an angle that and they don't tell the rest of the locker room. I remember yeah. a specific one where one wrestler um, like came out um, after ap- well after his match. He just pretty much because kind of like swore at the other guy. The guy who owns it, it came out and it was almost like shoot style. They were getting into it. They were like shove and pushing each other and literally the locker room emptied to separate them in the middle of a show and that wrestler and the owner knew all about it yes. didn't tell the rest of us I love that stuff oh I hate it it's ah. beyond insulting and disrespectful to everyone else because they're legit trying to save you yeah. from mm-hmm. getting your ass kicked by that wrestler because people get hurt in locker room clear out yeah. so they aren't the two people that are being separated because right. it's a bunch of people jumping to their feet immediately so I mean yeah it's one thing alright we're going to do this angle and you tell a few people who are going to be the ones like to run out separate. Hey, just let me know we're going to do this on this queue. Come out here. But the fact that it didn't, and like the locker room just cleared out, threw that wrestler out of the locker room after the show because they thought, oh, "What are you doing?" And then it came out that they just planned it all, and it just really pissed me. I stopped That's working genius. for that. I stopped working for that company after that show. I quit that company. It's it's so funny, though, that you had such a genuine reaction to it. You still, to this day, have yeah. feelings about it. And Bischoff, in this episode of the show, was very honest about, like, that works really well sometimes. And I <laughs> sure. think that's probably why. Not all the time. Right. I think there's a, <laughs> there's a line. There's a line. There's definitely a line. There's there, a line, and it involves but it, cats but and a mic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like that? I did. I did. I like that. <laughs> 
Uh, do you guys uh, think that Scott Hall has this reputation that he likes to piss people off? Yep. What did you think of this story of the Jerry Sags fight? Doesn't I mean I think that's exactly how everybody says it went. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, even like in Jericho's first book, I think he said, "No, no, I forgot." Yeah, Jericho's second book actually, I think when they came back to WWF, the Dudleys were there, and Scott Hall was like, "Oh, what's your guys' finish again? I just something new to kick out of." Like and it's like and it's like, but knowing like it can be funny, but it's like knowing his reputation. I'm like, I'm sure he said it so smugly, right? You know, um, he's so the king it, of smug. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I just kind of always like not sad because I know he's kind of redeemed himself. But like you always hear about how genius Scott Hall is, like mm-hmm. how like he's probably one of the best guys to learn from. So kind of like Bischoff I, picked him to be on his fantasy booking team a yep, couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I. Never meeting Scott Hall. I, from what I've from all of these backstage anecdotes I've heard, he sounds like someone who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and probably is, but has been beaten down by not having the ability to make any decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're if you think you're the smartest guy in the room and other people say you're the smartest guy in the room, but then they don't let you make the decisions, you find a way to you find ways to amuse yourself. And sure. that, that's what this sounds like. Mm-hmm. That's what he's constantly up to. Well, let's jump right into uh, NWO Sold Out 1997. Do we have to? <laughs> oh, we do. Well, you guys got rolling a little bit on this at the beginning about kind of what you what you thought of this. But I want to take you back. All right, let's go back 22 <laughs> years. <laughs> yes, yes. What do you remember this pay-per-view? Do you remember it being a thing? Yep. Were you excited about it? Absolutely. Those first few minutes, do you remember your reaction? Like, yep. like take us back, Rosenberg. Um, well, I, I did not watch it live, but when I like eventually, you know, saw, I was excited about. It. I was excited on the concept of it, and then I saw it, <laughs> and oh my god! I mean, the way they described it as like the worst pay per view of all time, mm-hmm. it probably is the worst pay per view of all time. And at the time, now this isn't the, the Twitterverse convincing of you course. now or Smart Marks now knowing more than they knew back then. At the time, do you remember thinking that it's up? At the time, I thought I thought it was bad. I mean, you know, love the ladder match. Right. Um, you know, I you know, I, I I enjoyed the tag title match. I but again, and this is it's kind of even, you know, back then, so I was what, 14, 15 at the time. You know, I was Already trying to get into like some announcing and commentating and hosting things back oh. then, and you know, and that's why I love so much Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan because I could leave the room and just have the volume up and know everything that's happening and be enthralled with it. And and I mean, and Eric talks about it with the commentary, but that honestly, if it was regular commentary, it would probably be a passable pay per view. Mm-hmm. But the commentary bring. It then makes like the no stories and not great match quality stand out even more. Mm-hmm. Jr. would have made this sound like, oh, it's not a bad pay per view, mm. but it was it was an evil Eric Bischoff yeah. and an unrehearsed Ted DiBiase. <laughs> what did a young Steve Kaufman think? Whew, um, I remember this would have been middle school. Everyone was really really psyched about this on Friday. Yeah. And then it was on a Saturday, and everyone was going to go over to someone's house who had a hot box. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say it. <laughs> that was called Black Box. No, it's, every, it's, I'm just pretty sure everyone who's listening right now was like, yes! yeah, I, The hot box, yes! <laughs> he knew a guy at the cable company who did the thing. Um, but I wound, up, I, had an, I wound up not being allowed to go, and then I remember Monday, I was like, how was it? And everyone was just like, ugh, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. We didn't have a good time. All right, and you can tell us after the show what you did to get grounded or whatever, but you couldn't go, because I'm dying to know. 
Well, uh, Eric Bischoff did mention his commentary and that he was just crapping on WCW the whole time. I'm really surprised that he would kind of let that happen at that time. He knew more. Seems like everybody should have known more. And even to this day, it seems like he's sort of like. like I, said, I just feel like I just feel like they thought that you know their ish didn't stink. Like they right. thought that like they can do no wrong. And I, I do have a question that in regard to that when, when he comes on. But yeah, because again, I, I thought the buildup was amazing. I thought the the excitement. I was totally excited for it. Again, I thought the stage, the design, everything about it looked amazing. Because I know Steve knows about this. Where like I like different. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it looked nothing like any of the previous WCW previews sure. I've ever seen. Right. Even WWF pay-per-views, it was nothing. Even, like, the whole Miss NWO, like, that's fine. I don't care about that. I mean, yeah, it could have been a little bit more rehearsed. But the fact that it looked different, I was I was in. Mm-hmm. I was in. But, again, the execution of it, just the whole, like, wait, so who's the heel? Who's the face? One thing. Like, I mean, no offense to some of these guys, but, like, VK Wall Street versus, like, Jeff Jarrett. I was kind of like, okay. Well, also, like, it's they seem to be riding on their coattails on a brand new concept. Like, you can't do both. Mm-hmm. Like, you can do a Starcade and ride your coattails that year because you felt you had a great year and, mm-hmm. like, we're kind of phoning it in. No, you, but he did, uh, Bischoff yeah. did contradict himself a little bit. He was he went over and over how they were trying to do something different, but then also admitted that, like, with Ted DiBiase, they were just doing the mm-hmm. same old thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Encyclopedia of Professional Wrestling, George Hermosa, <laughs> can you fill us in a little bit on Jeff Katz? This is the first time we see him. What what happened to Jeff Katz? I mean, apparently, this? I mean, I don't know if you did you work on this little this little project like a few weeks ago, a few years ago. What project? Apparently, like he was. Uh, I mean, well, first off, he's like a young guy who had, a, I guess, like a, fan, a Hollywood dad, yeah. um, but was love wrestling. But I guess recently, like maybe seven, eight years ago, he was trying to put together this like wrestling project. I think it was called like Wrestling Revolution. Whatever. Oh, and like they brought in like I was MVP not a part of that, but I, but I know a bunch of people. Omega, that, and they yeah, all yeah. use like weird names. They got a bunch of episodes off the ground, but they never did anything with it. But he just he's a Hollywood guy now. Did he have distribution, or is that the problem? I think that was a problem. Okay. But also like. Hearing what I heard about it, because I did have friends that worked the show, it wasn't great. Fair. <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> but I think that was pre-Lucha Underground, so I think that, that, that kind of... Oh, yeah, that was, that was a that few was right before Lucha that. Underground. Oh, and you're probably talking about the same time frame as Wrestling Society X? No, it was after. No, it was... So, this was, was like, after, after Society X. This was like 2010, 2011 yeah. Okay. Fair. Okay, no, I remember. I, remember what I tried to do a little searching today, and I didn't find much. So I knew you'd know. Geez. I know a little bit. Um, <laughs> just real quick, though, uh, I I, I want to give some kind of credit uh, as far as how it opened the show because Jericho Chono on paper that match should have been awesome, mm-hmm. right? So so I think that they were trying to go for that quick opener, but that match was not good. And you would think that that match would be a lot better based on, you know, Jericho's experience in Japan, Chono being awesome. But, I mean, I know you watch all the pay-per-views back, you know, not too long ago. Yeah, but yeah. that match was not good. No, it wasn't. Well, the guys kind of glossed over those first few matches. It seemed like there wasn't much to talk about about them besides, you know, Buff Bagwell's calf implants. Well, well, because, <laughs> I find fascinating. Well, be- you because, didn't know that? Because there, uh, was, well, there wasn't uh, much to talk about because there was no storylines with the matches. <laughs> and, you know, they pretty much were burying them on commentary so we didn't really get to experience much psychology because we were so distracted by the commentary and the matches were just there and it and and i saw because even in that jericho chona match and again not that this helped or didn't help but like as soon as nick patrick did a slow count for jericho you can hear the audience like groan they were like oh oh it's gonna be that for the entire show like like, we kind of saw it it's like you can see see the audience is like all right now we got to get into other things because they did cheer for other Mm -hmm. things it's not like the energy was out but it's like oh okay well but they'd rather that's what you guys are doing they'd rather chono just be better 
That's what makes that's what makes NWO a cool cool heel. Like they'd rather he just best Chris Jericho versus a referee win it for him. Right. 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 Well, there was a WCW tag team championship match as well. What was this controversy about the belts? Well, fill, so, in, the, fill in the so was Rand, Randy Anderson. Um, I asked him a few weeks ago. Like I brought that up regarding like using the referees yes. and storylines, and so this was where Randy Anderson stood out. So, bunch of people in WCW including referees and other wrestlers that were not part of the show, were in the crowd. Right. Like, watching and just, like, shaking their heads in disgust of, well, <laughs> well, they're getting paid maybe to be, maybe they're getting paid to be there, or just to fill up seats, who knows. But, but there's a point in the match where Nick Patrick, I think, takes a bump, and then Randy Anderson, who's a WCW licensed official, hops the barricade, does not get attacked by security, <laughs> hops the barricade, goes in the ring, and makes a three count, and Steiners are being declared the winners. Mm-hmm. However, then, like the next night of Nitro, Randy Anderson was not the um, licensed official for that match. Right. Don't count. I, I don't remember if they just vacated titles or gave them back to the outsiders. They gave them back, and, the they, okay. they and, him back and then he fired Randy And Anderson. then Bischoff fired Randy Anderson for getting involved when he was not scheduled to Yes, perform. let's talk about that. Because he dropped this fabulous story where <laughs> after that happened, HR actually wanted to fire him because they bought all of it. Yes. Do you think it's possible to make something like that happen in 2019? Yes. Yeah. That's so believable. I feel like it's happened sometime in the last year or so, um, but I'm trying to remember from what. I mean, in 09, I know it was a while ago, but in 09, when Trump was like the guest GM on Raw and he took over Raw, people legit thought that Trump was taking over the WWE. That, yeah, that, that's like, true. The stock went down a little bit. Or um, or I remember... <laughs> it was 10 years ago. It would have been 07, 08, whenever the Vince McMahon limo explosion was. Right. They had oh, issue, they went nuts about well, that. Well, they had to issue a press release the next day. WWE, as a publicly traded company had to issue a press release the next day pretty much giving up the whole angle that yeah. Mr. McMahon who is poor Mr. McMahon who is a character on our TV show that's portrayed by chairman Vince McMahon in a storyline was killed in a limo explosion last night lo and behold our CEO and chairman is still alive it just kills the whole angle well well that whole Chris Benoit thing didn't help things well but that was right, that was weeks of, later uh, yeah. speaking of things that didn't help things Thoughts on Miss NWO now that we got the whole behind-the-scenes story from Eric Bischoff. We know he agrees it wasn't well-executed, it wasn't rehearsed. So, I oh, go ahead. Content-wise, I do agree it could have been just a tighter, better, funnier segment, mm-hmm. or segments. On the wokeness-wise, I guess I'll say, American Pie was 1999, and I would argue there's nothing worse in American Pie than you would see in the Miss NWO pageant. No, that's true. Or, like, any comedy of that time. So to to hold it to today's standards would just be unfair. Right, and it, it really wasn't that raunchy. No, it, it really wasn't it, it that wasn't, It wasn't right. I mean, the thing that honestly surprised me is, like, he kept saying over and over on the podcast, you know, I wanted, you know, Regular women, or like you know, trucker biker yes. women, middle yes. American women, middle American they were going to get their chance to shine. But but the but the thing with that is, if NWO is supposed to be the badasses and be the cool hip thing, shouldn't we then want to? We would want to be part of that. We would want to be part of the NWO. We want to be part of the cool hip thing. Oh wait, these are the girls that they're getting. Well, maybe like you know, the teenagers won't. No, I don't want that. Because to me, when I see Bischoff making out with that girl, I'm immediately thinking Harvey Whippleman and Bertha Faye. Yeah. And to me, that's not cool. That's not badass. Like, if you wanted to have them all and then just had, like, one girl pop out at the end that was just, like, a really attractive one, and be like, oh, no, you win. Game over. Mm. Okay. I think that would have made it better. Right. 
But I think 1997 us had a lot of empathy, em, a lot of empathy for everyone in this segment. I'm All like, right, oh, that's kind of mean that the way you look is the butt of the joke here. That's true. And mm-hmm. I don't even think it's funny. Like, I don't uh, even think the segment works. They were just so happy. I think they really were just plain old middle American women, and they looked oh, like sure. they were so happy to just to be there, which yeah. is fine. You know, I mean, I'm sure their grandkids all thought it was really freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and guys, we are we got to kind of speed through this. But yep. for main event, what really stood out to me is that Eric Bischoff keeps saying, Paul White's never become a star. We've heard him say this <sighs> several weeks out of the last few months. Why do you think Bischoff feels the need to drive that? I don't think he so know. I don't think he gets what a star is because I think when, when, in terms of in terms of like oh he's never a star yeah he's never been a Rock Hogan uh, yeah. Cena Austin but only those four I have been he's, but he, he's been everything else he's 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 the only guy to be WWE WCW and ECW champion yeah I think Bischoff probably just has that old school idea of what the the superstar of super but I mean I do kind of see what he's talking him. about because like he was never the guy like you can never build a pay-per-view around him. Mm-hmm. You but, never built one around Andre. But yeah, again, but, but again, like, only four guys you can do that with. But you also yeah. talk about a star, and John Cena is an exception because you actually got a good 15 years out of John Cena. How many actual good years did we get out of The Rock before he moved on because he was a star? Four? Like, Five? Like, similar, Austin, very similar. Yeah. He was a star. You got less than 10 years out of him. How many years have we gotten out of the big show? At- 15 plus? Yeah, that's like, a great And he's point, making guys. other John Cena's. Yeah. That's great. Let's do a few quick dirt sheet debunks. Uh-oh. There was a lot of them this time. Meltzer saying that Bam Bam Bigelow deal initially fell through. Eric Bischoff said he didn't know, but he clarifies that he did not want Bam Bam in the NWO. I believe it. Uh, there was mm. another report that Randy Savage New Deal was less days, a million dollars, and that it was all about the Slim Jim deal. Bischoff really set that straight. He said everybody was getting limited dates. They split hairs over uh, limited versus less and some words there. And the big one... Uh, Meltzer reported that uh, New Japan was not wanting Sasaki to lose in the pay-per-view, and Bischoff called complete BS on that. He says it was never an issue with New Japan, ever. Not only right now, but never an issue with them about putting the uh, American guys over here. Um, I, We have no choice but to take his word on that. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> I have All a choice. Right. Right. But I have no, a choice. Like, <laughs> I have a choice, but I take his word for it. Okay. You know what no, I... Mean? I I could see, and I think he, he elaborated enough that it didn't it didn't come off completely false to me. But I don't know. Maybe they they seem to be making the decisions together that it wouldn't. There'd be on occasion some budding heads, but ultimately they'll decide on what they decide on. But that's less about our guys losing to your guys and more about what we both want as a unit moving forward. And I think that's where the reporting comes from, and that's where the narrative we all believe came from. That's right. Well, shall we get the the man we are chatting about on the line? You know what? I I think we should get the man we're chatting about on the line. Maybe ask him? Perhaps. Oof. All right. Oh, great. Well, everybody's in on that plan. We're we're. Uh, I'm letting I'm letting the panel know that that's going to happen. We're not doing oh, it on it, rehearse. Oh, it's happening. So I hope they react genuinely. All right. Oh. And on that note, we'll be back in just a minute with Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. Hey Eric. Hey. Uh, just making sure video, sure, video. audio is good. Audio's. Okay. Okay. Uh, coming in uh, coming a little in. loud on Hold your that. Mac. Can you turn Hold it on? Hold on one second. I've got. 
me, but I don't have you guys. Uh, correct. Um, that's the way that we have it uh, set up for tonight. We got you uh, loud and clear on our end, though. Is the video all right, then? Yeah, video is great. Um, actually, uh, you do have a little bit of uh, glare on your your left side there. I guess if that's uh, light bouncing off of a mirror behind you. Oh. Other other side. Sorry, perhaps you're you're. Yeah, there we go. Oh no, yeah, scoot, yeah, scoot a little bit more. Yeah, the, right there, right there, perfect. Thank right. you. And then I'll center you on that shot right there. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet. Thank you. All right, here we go, guys. Coming back in three, two. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now is a producer, an entrepreneur, and the man who is responsible for NWO Sold Out 1997. Hello, Eric Bischoff. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Hey, we're great. How are you today? I've had an outstanding couple of days, I have to tell you. The weather's been great here, and I've been able to be outside and having fun with my dog, and <laughs> things are good. This is sort of the same way that this week's episode of 83 Weeks started, with you lamenting about your great day, it, it, action. It just, you know, I feel like a schmuck always talking about how great it is where <laughs> I live, but you know, it's, it's the middle of January, and it was like 48 degrees outside today in, in the middle of the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming. It doesn't happen that often, so... I'm sucking up every minute of it I can get. <laughs> cool. Well, we will uh, pick your brain in the meantime while you're enjoying it there. So. Take off. <laughs> um, so first question is from at Helton75. Did Nick Patrick get any type of bonus for working every match on Sold Out 97? No. <laughs> no? Absolutely not. He's lucky he had a job. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he had to go clean up and catering once the, the show was over. <laughs> Uh, so we, he was we, multitasking. <laughs> let me let me just say that I and I said it on the panel earlier that I thought the presentation of the event and how different it looked was amazing. It looked different than everything else. And knowing what you know, knew then, how it, how it ended up afterwards, why not do an, another NWO sold out that's strictly NWO? Knowing all the mistakes that you guys did the first time. There was so much uh, confusion going on after – by 1998, um, that was when Thunder was being introduced to us. There was a lot of internal things going on in WCW. We were beginning we, – we were being asked to cut back on, on certain um, expenses because of the merger. So there were a lot of things going on, and I just think that you know we had to realign what we were doing, and the vote was because it didn't really work, and there was a – by 1998, there was a lot more short-term thinking going on at the corporate level above me, which affected us. And I think the general consensus was it really wasn't worth trying to salvage that pay-per-view. But I agree with you. You know, after I looked at it to prep for this week's show, there were a lot of mistakes. I mean, there was a, you know, my commentary sucked horribly. It was just horrible. Um, I put Ted DiBiase in a bad spot, as we talked about. Um, there were a lot of things wrong. The whole Nitro or the whole Miss NWO contest was such a clusterfuck <laughs> that it, it, it was just horrible. But the idea was good. The execution mm -hmm. was horrible. The idea was good. And I wish we would have done another one. So, so with that said, going into the show, you know, obviously before the show, was that going to be a one-time thing? Or did you guys think this was going to be the first of many? 
I think the idea was we're going to try it, you know, and it wasn't just let's do a pay-per-view that the NWO controls. Again, we tried a lot of different things. I mean, that really was an experiment. We did so many things that you wouldn't normally do on a pay-per-view, taking away the entrance music from the baby faces, for example. You know, on paper, wow, that's a really heelish thing to do. That's what the NWO would do from a character point of view. It made a lot of sense. But in the execution, it really um, it didn't do us any favors with the crowd. The crowd was just they didn't know how to react. They didn't know when to react. They didn't know how to react. They were so accustomed to a pattern. You know, heel comes out, music, boo, hiss, throw shit, right? Babyface comes out, oh, stand and cheer. You know, the audience is a part of the show. But we took, we kicked the, the legs out from underneath them on that. And it just, it threw everything else. But we wanted to try it. There were a lot of stuff we tried on that show. You know, a lot of the camera work that you see on that pay-per-view, you had never seen before that. Some of it now you know, is being used today and, and clearly refined from the way we experimented with it. But there were so many things that we did differently with that show. So we did, to answer your question, we looked at it almost as a one-off. Uh, kind of piggybacking with what George was saying, because it was different, like you said, with, this, with the stage and no music. Whenever I see, like, you know, award shows or anything on stage where there's a lot of stairs, I'm always worried watching it thinking someone's going to slip and fall. Someone's going to trip. What's going on? <laughs> and, and they almost always and do. This, and this stage setup had a bunch of stairs for the wrestlers to go down. I'm just kind of curious if, like, during rehearsals or anything like that, if anyone was kind of, like, worried or paranoid about, oh, okay, I got I to gotta run down these stairs and I don't want to trip and fall live on pay-per-view or anything like that. So, I mean, that's a very good question, and I'm not making fun of your question, but <laughs> please do. <laughs> no, no, no it's not the, I don't want to be a jackass all the time. <laughs> no, but can you imagine, you know, because wrestlers have egos and, you know, they don't want to show their ass, you know, and look like they're insecure about anything. You know what I mean? It's, you know, there's a, there's certain, there's a certain swagger when you're one of the boys or girls, as the case may be. Can you imagine one of them coming up to me and going – Hey Eric, I really don't want to go down the stairs because I'm going to trip. <laughs> so if if they were if anybody was nervous, um, I don't know about it. They didn't come to me and you know flag me on that. <laughs> well, things got a little tense between you and Conrad on this episode, as it sometimes does. Have you, are you ever genuinely annoyed with him? Like, do you ever think like, dude, just stop? Or when you're calling each other names back and forth? Is that ever is that ever real? No, actually, I kind of dig it. You know, I've always liked confrontation. I, I've always liked a good challenge, and I love it when we dig into it and get into it. Conrad, on the other hand, gets a little bit of ass rash. Yeah, <laughs> he gets his feelings hurt. I don't get my feelings hurt. He busts my chops all all show long. Yeah. I, you know, I don't get angry about it. But man, if I, you know, you know when he gets really hot is when I bury Dave Meltzer. He hates that. <laughs> and, and I love it. So there's, I do, you know. too. <laughs> it's given us a whole segment on this show, so we appreciate it. Speaking of confrontation, after the Robin Hood 97 incident where you had oh, to... Oh, he's got it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of confrontation... Speaking of people we hate. I hate Steven Singer. <laughs> uh, speaking of confrontation, with the TNT Robin Hood thing where you aired a main event during the commercials... Were there times after the fact that you can remember that you had to push back against TNT and point to this as a disaster? No. Okay. No. I, you know, I, look, 
you try things, right? I mean, from the launch of Nitro, which was an experiment, that show was different than anything anybody else had ever seen before. We were, we broke the paradigm with that show. As we evolved from a creative point of view into the NWO era, which subsequently became the Attitude Era, um, make note of that, the, the, the product you know, evolved even more. And we were constantly trying things that had never been done before. Giving away the competitors' finishes on live TV three minutes before their show started, never been done before. Calling out Vince McMahon, never been done before. You know, so many of the things, and from a production point of view, you know, we were the first people to ever allow the show to unfold and the story to be told backstage. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to that, the backstage area was nothing more than stand-up interviews. You know, we opened it up. We put people in a production truck. We had stuff go down inside of that truck. Nobody ever seen that before. We literally peeled the, you know, the curtain back and exposed the the, the business mm-hmm. in a way that's never been done before from a production point of view. A lot of the techniques that we use had never been done. So the, the show, you know, had always um, evolved and was continuing to evolve. But guess what happens when you try shit? Sometimes things fail. <laughs> and with Brad and I, I've always been, you know, give me a challenge. Let's try it. What's the worst that will happen? No one's going to die. No one's going to go to jail. You might have to talk yeah. about it in 20 years on a podcast <laughs> and admit you were wrong. <laughs> no, but, but you know, I never, I'm never afraid to fail. And, and as a creative person, you know, you can't be, especially in the wrestling business where you're constantly pushing the envelope. If you're afraid to fail, and you're try you're afraid to try something new. You're just going to be be repeating everybody else's mistakes for however long you're able to. You know you got to break new ground, and that's what we did. And that experiment with with TNT uh, was a valuable lesson, and it was good for them. By the way, it was not the wrestling fans may have gone, ah, I hate that because it's different. But from TNT's perspective, now they've got a hot show in Nitro with a huge audience, and they were able to successfully, very successfully, drag that audience into the Robin Hood series. That was the that was the goal. We executed it well from TNT's point of view, and it, it worked very well for them and for ad sales. And that was my goal. My goal was to do things for the ad sales division of Turner Broadcasting that nobody had ever done before. Because I knew that way they'd give me support. They would spend more time selling our commercial time, which means we made more money. So, no, there was never any pushback. And it was never, you know, anytime I went into something like that, it was like, look, let's just try it. Let's do our best. Let's think it through. If it works, great. We'll do it again. If it doesn't work, move on. We'll try something else next time. Uh, watching the opening match with Jericho and Masahiro Chono, I had a question that I was dying to ask you. Uh, did you guys get a lot of royalties from the NWO Japan version? Because I know you had Chono, Muda, Tenzan, NWO Sting. You know, they kind of had their own NWO in Japan. Did you guys get any of that just by them having that over there? Sure, we did. We, we shared in uh, uh, merchandise revenue across the board. That was the reason for creating an NWO Japan. Uh, because and I got to tell you, we sold a ton of merchandise, 96, 97, 98, a ton. And I'll never forget, you know, I, I was walking around Tokyo, not far from the Kiyo Plaza uh, with my buddy Sonny. And by the way, we're going back February 15th. Sonny and I are going to Osaka to, uh, we're going to be part of the event honoring Masa Saido. So I'm really excited about that. But I'll never forget one of the times I was walking around Tokyo. Tokyo's a big city, right? And 
I started seeing guys wearing NWO shirts for the very first time. It was really cool. I was used to seeing it here in the States, but to go all the way over to Japan and, you know, everything's so unique over there and to see, you know, guys walking around wearing NWO shirts, you know, blew my mind, but it was very popular over there. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit uh, to what you were discussing early in the podcast with your relationship with Mark Mero and, um, and how it kind of fade away when he left uh, to go to WWE. I'm just curious, uh, you know, around today, do you guys talk at all today? And are you aware or follow any of his, like, anti-bullying that he does around a bunch of elementary schools across the country? Um, to answer your first question, you know, we don't – I don't really stay in touch with too many people. You know, I, pro- I talk to Hulk. I talk to Bruce Pritchard. I talk to Conrad, obviously. Um, Ernest Miller. Ernest Cap Miller I talk to quite a bit. Um, but other than that, you know, I don't – I'm not a phone guy. I don't stay in touch. I'm a horrible person in that regard. You know, I only talk to my brother and sister. I love them dearly, but they live in Minnesota. I talk to them, you know, on the 4th of July, and I talk to them on Christmas. That's it. (laughs) So I don't stay in touch with many people. Now, when I see Mark, you know, if we cross paths at an autograph signing or an appearance of some sort, Comic-Con, whatever, of course we talk. You know, we'll we'll explain pleasant, you know, exchange pleasantries. But, you know, I don't pick up the phone and chat with him. But I am aware of what he's doing. I think it's awesome. You know, and he's been doing a lot of great things for a long time. It's it's not just the anti-bullying thing, but he's he's turned his life around. He's really got a hold of it. He's living a great life, and I'm I'm thrilled for him. Um, switching gears a little, you mentioned a bit about the Big Show Paul White on this episode. Not, I don't want to say not being a star, but have not having the star power other folks on the roster. And it brings me to a question from at i underscore Willis. The Big Show had a $10 million 10-year deal with the WWF. Do you think the WWF got good value on him in that deal? You know, only they can say. Um, and, and you have to realize that sometimes, it's, you know, a Vincent Mann or an Eric Bischoff would would have made decisions during that time. You know, I, for me, the fact that they offered Paul a million a year for 10 years blew my mind. Just blew my mind. Because it was but, Paul specifically or just that deal in well, general? it was Paul specifically. You know, I, I couldn't – and look, I may have been wrong about this, but it's what I believed then and what I still believe now. Paul was just too – it had nothing to do with Paul or his ability. Paul is a phenomenal character, an amazing athlete, and he's he is what he is, right? He's as big as he is. So all the ingredients are there, but from a creative point of view – until you have to sit down and figure out a story that the audience will get into and believe and like, and when you got it, when you have to do that with a guy as big as Paul, when you automatically eliminate a lot of the storytelling devices that you would normally use, you know how do you how do you beat up a giant? You know how do you get sympathy? People hear these words and they talk smart and they think they're smart. I think they understand the wrestling business and they really don't. But when it comes to, comes time to really get sympathy on on a giant, you know, or to put a, you know, if it was a movie, you're taking your your protagonist, your your good guy, and you're stacking the deck against him in every way or her any every way you possibly can, because you the audience will feel for that character, and they'll want to go for a ride along the journey to watch that character get redemption or achieve his or her goal, whatever the case may be. Well, if you try to apply that same kind of basic storytelling framework to a guy that's, you know, seven foot four and 600 pounds, 
How do you do that? How do you make that guy sympathetic? How do you make the audience want to see him overcome a challenge? And by the way, what challenges can you come up with that'll really get people interested over an extended period of time, 52 weeks a year? Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible. It was for me, maybe because I was limited creatively. But guess what? Vince McMahon didn't figure it out either. They used, they used Paul in some very high-profile spots, and he had some main events. And it's not like Paul you know, was a non-factor in WWE or is. He certainly is an important, vital part of it. And I don't mean to take anything away from Paul, but I think when you're that big, you're limited. Just like if you were, you know, five foot four and 135 pounds in a wrestling business, you'd be really limited. There might be a little spot for you here and here and there, but man, what do you do with what do you do with that 52 weeks a year? And that's what I meant to try to articulate about Paul. All the talent in the world, but his sheer size limited the storytelling parameters for him so much that I just couldn't see a long-term big money investment with him. Well, and if you go back, if you're really objective, and I try to be, I may not be, I try really hard though. Was he really a superstar in WWE over the last 20 years? He was a star, but he was not a John Cena. He was not an Undertaker. You know, he, he was not a, a Rock. He was not a Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was not a Ric Flair. Certainly not a Hulk Hogan. He wasn't an Andre the Giant. No. But do you, was what he was. do you do you feel then that Kevin Nash is identical to to Paul White then, or is he different? Because there obviously he's another big guy. Same kind of stories to go and how to beat him. It's a really good point. It's a really good point, and the answer is yes. It is. It is really difficult. You know, can you imagine trying to bring under, you know, and I know Undertaker worked a lot, you know, back when he was working a lot. But, you know, I think Undertaker works now because he comes in. It's almost like going back to the territory days, Mm -hmm. you know, when, you know, I lived in Minnesota, the Midwest Territory. And Andre the Giant would come in once a year, maybe twice for a month to work one program. And then he's gone. Mm -hmm. And they booked him in a way so that, you know, when they knew when he came back, it would be like, oh, man, he's coming back. The Monster Slayer is coming back to clean house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine trying to do that 52 weeks a year. But, yes, to your point, the same type. It, it, it's not as bad with a guy like Kevin because there's certain ways you can you can get sympathy on a guy like Kevin or or put him in a, in a situation that most people would think he'd never get out of. It's a lot harder to do that with a guy like Paul. Paul was a lot bigger than Kevin. But but Kevin still had limitations, and there was limitations on what big guys can do dynamically, physically, just watching, you know. Especially now, we've all become accustomed to such great athleticism that's built within the storytelling. You expect more. You expect more of that athleticism now. Guys that are that big, they can only do big guy stuff. They can't fly. They're not coming off the top turnbuckle, spinning around and doing cartwheels <laughs> in the air and coming down with an elbow drop. It's not happening. So by default, you're you're somewhat limited. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, I'm glad we got that clarification, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to let you go, sir, before any did of I these talk, guys goes all, I, go all Conrad on you. Did I talk too much? No, <laughs> no, we love it. I'm just I'm just afraid that one of these guys is going to come at you a little bit hard here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go before uh, anyone insults anybody. <laughs> 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 There's those martial arts moves we heard about on Sold Out 96, 97. And, and didn't, didn't you show off, though, like, did, did you have that golden rose? Yes. That rose covered in 24 karat gold that you were t- showing a little bit? 
There it is. For Christy. Aww. I I enjoy doing this show so much that I want to give this to you. Early Valentine's Day present. Aww. Oh, that means so much to us. Wow. Well, not <laughs> us. It's only for you. <laughs> That's what I was going to get her for Valentine's Day. It has nothing to Jesus. do with those other jugheads. <laughs> I, I, I assume that you just do this to be nice because you feel bad for us. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You guys have a great right. Have a great week. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk yeah. to you next week. All right. Bye. Oh, I could love him anymore. <laughs> I think after after that I do a little bit. Yeah, he, got, bit you, he got you a rose covered in 24 karat yes. gold. Oh, I love it. Well, guys, give out your uh, social media handles. Let everyone know where to uh, hit you up at and what you'll be getting them for Valentine's Day. Uh, well, I don't know if Val- <laughs> Valentine's Day is still a month away. But Twitter, at Rosenberg, Instagram, TheWareRosenberg, ProsandTees.com, slash ChristianRosenberg, ColorAndNobleBrand.com, promo code Rosenberg. Save yourself 10%. Yeah. And, of course, you can catch me on AfterBuzz Smackdown. You forgot there's a wrestling show that we're going to be at on January 25th. I was saving that for you. At the Moose Lodge in Burbank, California, Wrestling for Wrestling. You can see, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I'm sure I'll be devastating. Uh, but you yes. can follow me at Ghermoza, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A, Twitter, Instagram, on the social med. Is that what it is? The social med. And, I'll, and I'll be evil at that show. Okay. I, I will um, be evil. You can find me almost exclusively on Twitter at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. I run a lot of YouTube channels, including the one you're watching me on right now. So if I tweeted the link, I'm involved. Support me. And get ready for a huge announcement coming in 3, 2, 1. Steve Kaufman will be joining me this Sunday on Something to Wrestle After. That's right. You guys asked for it, and we are bringing you an after show for Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. So make sure that you follow us all, and we'll keep you up to date on where to find us. And uh, we'll see you Sunday night. So thank you so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first. We're the biggest in the world. And we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.